Hello and welcome. I'm Tracy Dokes, President and CEO of MCNC. And thank you for joining us once again for MCNC Community Connect, which is a podcast where leaders and innovators regularly meet to discuss some of today's hottest technology topics and trends. Each MCNC Community Connect episode aims to inspire fresh ideas and to have essential conversations around technology's increasing role in economic development, broadband infrastructure, cybersecurity, digital equity, and more. Today, I'm joined by MCNC's Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, Tommy Jacobson, to discuss our exciting new project recently funded through the Internet for All initiative. This is a once in a generation moment in North Carolina as we work to provide the access and skills that all of our communities and citizens need to fully participate in today's society and economy. Over the next few months, you'll be seeing and hearing a lot about this project and today, We'll attempt to explain what it is we're working on, the significance of it, and how you might be able to get involved. Thank you so much for joining me today, Tommy. Let's just dive right in. So first, let's talk about the HERO project and why it's important. So um, Tracy, if you recall when you joined uh, MCNC about three years ago, you and I had a lot of conversations on where MCNC could continue to provide value uh, with broadband concerns around the state. And um, I identified a couple of areas that MCNC had always felt compelled um, to do do more, uh, areas that we you know internally would classify as donut holes around the, the state that we just weren't able to, to build infrastructure in as part of the BTOP program or other uh, efforts that we were involved in. Uh, since the VTOP programs in the early 2010 decade. Um, and I identified, um, you know, would really be nice to do something between Sanford and Fayetteville uh, to Jacksonville and then in the central part of the state between uh, Dobson and, uh, and Albemarle. And, um, you know, we had begun to do um, some of that work on our own and, and MCNC funding a build between Dobson and Winston-Salem that we had started on, but we didn't have the capital um, to do that, uh, anything else on our own at the time. So, um, you know, while there is significant broadband infrastructure across North, North Carolina, these regions remain underserved or unserved in terms of the availability and the affordability of broadband. And um, again, that's the result of a lack of broadband infrastructure in those regions. So the MCNC HERO project, High Speed Economies for Rural Opportunity, will directly support the improvements to broadband in these regions and the affordability across central and southeastern North Carolina through those uh, between those cities that I referenced. Um, when the project is complete, it will extend um, MCNC's reach uh, around the state by 200 miles through new middle mile uh, fiber construction that'll occur uh, through these substantially unserved and underserved areas that are include some of the highest poverty areas of the state. Um, yes, I remember fondly three years ago when I started and you identified a donut hole. 
And we referenced this donut hole for probably a couple of years before we applied for HERO. So I, I distinctly remember that. And this was a great opportunity for us to, to fill that hole. Um, can you uh, also explain what BTOP is for our audience members that may not know what that is? Yes, yeah, so um, BTOP stands for Broadband Technologies Opportunity Program. And that was another NTIA program that existed between uh, 2010 and 2013 for MCNC. Um, and it was a, a program that came about with the um, economic challenges that were occurring um, at the end of the banking crisis in 2008, uh, 2009, if folks remember the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. Um, there was, um, I can't remember distinctly, but there were, I think it was $4.1 billion of broadband uh, money set aside for broadband uh, projects around the country. And MCNC did two applications uh, to the NTIA for um, projects to build out um, broadband within North Carolina. It was effectively between the two projects, uh, $147 million of capital infusion, which formed the basis for what MCNC's network has become today in terms of building out 1700 miles of uh, fiber throughout again underserved and unserved areas of the state uh, and then the acquisition of another 800 or so miles of fiber that has become the foundation for the operation of the North Carolina Research and Education Network or NCRN as we call it. Yeah and I strongly believe and I don't know how you feel Tommy that the success of that project probably played into us being awarded this funding for this current project. We have a very good track record um, because of the BTOP um, implementation. Would you agree? Yes, I think, um, you know, obviously it's, it's um, you know, a project that we were very proud of because we, we uh, completed the project on time and under budget. And um, I think we had a, uh, we were widely regarded as probably if not the most successful, one of the most successful BTOP uh, program recipients that the NTIA had. And so I think us being a known entity um, to the NTIA um, helped our, our odds, coupled with the fact that um, the areas that we you know, proposed you know, building this $19 million project through are some of the areas of most uh, need in North Carolina. Yeah, and I do, uh, I, I do want to mention that we were the only grant in North Carolina and the only grant directly to a uh, research and education network across the country, which I think is is very, very interesting and, and speaks to um, the history and reputation of MCNC. Uh, shifting gears um, for a little bit, uh, you know, you and I both know that MCNC understands the broadband connectivity and how it plays in supporting a thriving community in North Carolina. CNBC just released their annual competitiveness survey and North Carolina was ranked first for the second year in a row as workers continue to flock to our state to take advantage of our booming economy. But again, in some areas, things aren't booming as much because of a lack of internet. How do you feel that this project will help bridge that digital gap? 
for over 40 years, MCNC has connected and protected communities with high-speed internet and networking technologies throughout North Carolina. Um, during those four decades, um, of which I've been here, three of them, um, <laughs> we, we, you know, we, we, yeah, we've built out a world-class network, too many underserved and unserved areas of the state. Um, that, that infrastructure supports uh, citizens that need to be able to uh, work remotely, uh, school children that need to be able to attend school, you know, virtually, and then for, you know, just day-to-day -day living, folks that need to access government sites for, you know, renewing the driver's license or, uh, you know, connecting with healthcare providers for virtual visits. Um, those those technologies and, are needed in all areas of the state. So um, if you live in Wake County or Cumberland County, most of Wake County and Cumberland County, I should say, should say you have the uh, you have access to those sorts of resources, but unfortunately, uh, if you're in the areas that we're talking about this project moving through, uh, not so much. Um, so this project is going to support you know new infrastructure and provide the necessary technologies to ensure everyone in these areas can have the access and skills they need to participate in today's society. Um, this is a project that is designed for comprehensive community infrastructure. And many of the counties impacted meet the NTIA definition of economically distressed, which combines unemployment with low per capita income as the metrics for that. Um, and this expansion will traverse areas that will never be served without this funding because of the substantial losses commercial providers would sustain for their existing business models. Um, as you know, Tracy, when I was um, when we were doing the grant application, I wrote you know, both of these routes. And after many years of, of being involved in fiber related work, I know what to look for. And I can tell you that um, most of these routes outside of the um, what, what you would classify as a metropolitan area, if, if um, you know, in Sampson County, if Clinton is the metropolitan area for that area, you get beyond that, you just don't see what looks like anything related to fiber infrastructure. It's all copper based plant. Um, there's no you know, fiber distribution. Um, uh, not panels, but um, termination devices on the road and things of that nature. So um, it's definitely, you know, I can say without hesitation that these areas need need this broadband infrastructure. Yeah, and they absolutely do. Um, you know, the biggest thing too is them having the access to, you know, these digital resources and then hopefully um, the commercial providers will extend connectivity from our middle mile. But um, additionally, there might be some economic development in those areas that could um, help them thrive pretty significantly as well. And you know, that's all we could hope for in um, a scenario like this. So, you know, speaking of, you know, the commercial um, providers, how will MCNC work with commercial internet service providers and last mile providers to serve the public good and, and not compete against them? Yeah, so one of the um, one of the hallmarks or one of the requirements, if you will, of, of receipt of any federal money related to broadband infrastructure is that you you commit to a uh, carrier neutral, fully open, non discriminatory, non discriminatory open access. Um, model of providing network. And again, I think MCNC has probably been one of the better purveyors of that, uh, that concept uh, dating back to our BTOP days. So we have a history of selling 
dark fiber and transport services in regions around the state to help providers that are interested in operating in those regions that may have not been operating before um, get into those regions and then help them by providing transport out of the region uh, to Charlotte and Raleigh or, or other places that might uh, represent the head ends for their, their infrastructure. And uh, in doing so, we open up opportunities in those regions that providers wouldn't have had otherwise. And so we'll build off of the uh, lessons learned and, and the activity that we've done with the, um, the BTOP programs and continue that here on these segments. And in fact, um, you know, we've already, as you know, been, um, been partnering and, and talking to folks about partnerships that would exist uh, on this infrastructure once it's built in the next two years. Yeah, and that's the uh, the most exciting part about this. Um, when, you know, in your opinion, and I know you've been in this business for, you know, three decades since you started when you were five. Um, <laughs> Thank you. How, <laughs> how long do you think it would take for these commercial ISPs and last mile providers to really engage with these communities where the middle mile um, would be built? What, you know, based on your experience, are we thinking, you know, five years, 10 years, three years? And I'm just asking your opinion. Yeah, um, in, in specifically in the Sanford to Fayetteville to um, over to the Jacksonville area, I'm not sure that if this opportunity for middle mile uh, grant program came about uh, from the NCIA and the federal government, I'm not sure that there would have ever been um, additional investments made into these communities um, by your typical commercial provider. Now, there may have been, um, you know, electric membership co-ops that would have um, made investments in the broadband because many of those are doing that in the, in the more underserved and unserved regions of the state. But a typical um, carrier that has to look at, um, you know, an ROI model, um, I don't know that they would have ever taken the sleep of faith um, to do that. Again, that's my opinion. I think they would have, yeah. uh, they would have made their investments into, um, you know, wireless, uh, wireless services that they would have and say that's going to be good enough. But as you and I know, um, there's limitations to wireless that just don't, um, they don't meet the need. Um, of what true broadband is in, in terms of a, a minimum of 100 meg, you know, download. And, and in some cases now, if you're trying to operate a business, 100 meg upload. So, um, I, again, I just I don't know that it would have ever been there. Now, that being said, MCNC is about the good of the entire state, all of its citizens. So that's why we felt the need to take a leap of faith here, put, put forward some of our own dollars and matching funds. Uh, to to build out you know, these routes with the support of the federal government. So, um, you know, I, I would hope that we'll get that money back in time. But if we don't, I think we could feel good about our investment in terms of what it does for these regions of the state. Can you remind um, our listeners what uh, MCNC's investment is in this project? Yes. Yeah, so the um, the matching fund component of what the uh, what MCNC is bringing to the nineteen it's roughly a, a nineteen million dollar project. We're we're committing roughly seven point seven million dollars, and the federal grant is around eleven point two million. Yeah, and and to that point, you know, our mission has always been 
you know, for the betterment of, of North Carolina. And I think that um, match and continued commitment to North Carolina shows in, in this $7 million um, match for this um, $19 million project. You do mention Fayetteville. Do you, and I know there's a, um, a uh, Fort Bragg is there. Can you mention any um, or are there any benefits from a military perspective of this uh, middle mile build, whether it's for the citizens that live around there or the military base itself or any other um, uh, military bases in the area? Yeah, so um, as part of the application, we were one of the uh, scoring lines was basically how how could this uh, infrastructure go to help improve uh, national security. So we were able to highlight uh, due to the route passing through Fayetteville and then coupling that with other investments that the uh, the federal government had already made with MCNC in the past that um, when you think about Pope Air Force Base up in the New Bern area, um, we were going to pass three or four military installations as part of this. And, and again, that was around the federal government being interested in how uh, they would potentially be able to leverage these uh, resources in the future, um, you know, through providers that they, that would potentially buy fiber from MCNC along these corridors um, to uh, interconnect those facilities in the future. Um, a lot of those, I'm fundamentally convinced that over the years that there's been several, um, you know, ventures and sales that we have done to other carriers for fiber in portions of the state that went directly to support some of those military installations. Um, I'm not supposed to necessarily know about those um, and I don't <laughs> know about them directly, but knowing that right. these carriers had reputations of supporting, you know, the department of defense in the past, I felt pretty comfortable that based on where they were asking for the fiber to and from that they in fact were supporting, um, you know, defense of the country. Wow. Uh, and I don't think um, everybody understands what our role has been um, as it relates to national security over the years and more specifically for for this project. So, you know, we, we had a, a part of this discussion yesterday um, that's been brought up and, and in the past and with some of our partners that we may work with um, for the future of this middle mile build. We both know, and many of our listeners, that connectivity is only part of that equation, right? So let, let's paint a picture that's a, a bit more on where we go from here. So MCNC is continuously thinking of the, you know, the broader picture, if you will, and understands how connectivity and innovation drive job creation and economic development within the state. Um, you know, obviously, from a standpoint of um, thinking about how do you broaden that our network to continue to to serve the residents of the state, not just the community anchor institutions that we serve around the state, like public school districts and universities and community colleges and, and things of that nature. Um, you know, we're looking at the ability to partner with electric membership co-ops and other uh, other companies that are interested in helping in the rural broadband problem in areas that um, 
incumbent providers have not been able to make the business case to go do on their own. So we're all the time, you know, talking to folks about how can we, how can the fiber that we have uh, from a dark fiber perspective help you do that? How can the transport services that we can provide into these regions, how can that help you um, build out the network that you're looking to engage in? So um, those conversations take a while to materialize. The the opportunities take a while to um, to percolate and, and and gain traction. But with the now billion and a half uh, um, dollars that are coming to the state from the uh, bead program that the uh, NC Department of IT Broadband Infrastructure Office is going to be managing. I think there's all sorts of opportunities to um, leverage the middle mile that is now committed uh, through these regions to then say, now how do we build out and away from that and innovate networks that um, will serve every every citizen in the state? You know, one of the things we have not talked about, which, you know, it, in my mind, um, fundamentally can support innovation is healthcare and the telehealth network. You know, we have a really strong partnership with the North Carolina Telehealth Network Association because we run the telehealth network. What do you have to say about, you know, what this could mean for um, for that program? And, and I say that it's related because, um, you know, healthy households, equal thriving communities, which can also um, support, you know, job creation and economic development. Uh, do you have any insight into um, how it affects that telehealth um, program? I think there's there's a whole lot of innovation that can still uh, continue to happen um, with telehealth. Um, and, and I'll use my own case. Uh, recently, when I was on vacation, I uh, Unfortunately, got a, um, a skin infection. I had some bug bites or something that got a hold of me, and I had. I won't attempt to uh, talk about the uh, talk about what <laughs> the, the, the clinical definition of what it was or to pronounce that. But basically, I had a, uh, a rash and I had a skin infection. And so, you know, without the access to um, and, and so, so obviously, I'm not at home where my doctor's at. So I do a, a, an online visit, and within five minutes, the guy says, "What you have is this." and you know, here's, here, I'll call in an antibiotic for you at the, you know, in the town that you're at. And not everybody has access to that, right? Because they don't have good broadband. It was my ability to take my smartphone out, have a video conference that lasted five minutes, me, you know, pan my, my phone down and, and show my, uh, my foot where the infection was and him, you know, saying, yep, you've got this, I'll call it in. Um, that's, that's huge, right? It didn't disrupt my vacation that much. Although you said, you know, prop your feet up and stay out of the sun. Well, that wasn't going to happen. But <laughs> my, my, my point there being is that's just a, that's just a minor thing, right? But that uh, everybody in the state doesn't have access to that capability. Another thing that I think is incredibly important is it's in some of these regions, you know, the access to the premier healthcare that you and I would be exposed to in the Raleigh-Durham area, um, in terms of specialists and things of that nature, those folks don't live in, in a Clinton area, right? So if you start having the ability for uh, a, a resident there, an elderly person to, to, to meet with a heart specialist that's up at Chapel Hill um, or, or Durham at, at Duke University Medical Center, you know, you, you might be able to do more with, um, you know, 
travel nursing where they go and they're they're there with the person at home, but then they're they're linked via via video and other telemetry from their home to the uh, the, the specialty clinics that exist somewhere else in the state. So I, I don't even think we've begun to tap into that potential yet. Um, unfortunately, you know, hospitals are even closing down in some of these regions. So that's more of a of an indication that access to telehealth is going to have to continue to be um, to be growing and more available to this population in these areas. Or unfortunately, you know, without the broadband, these areas may just simply dry up and, and you know, as a generation passes, nobody lived there. And I don't think anybody wants to see that happen. No, we don't. Um, but, you know, you mentioned telemetry and that makes me think of wearables, right? Yes. So people who have some of these wearables, whether it be a heart monitor or, you know, even an Apple watch where that data can be sent, you know, via you know, some broadband um, uh, a, a resource to a doctor or a nurse the, to give them an indication of their health status, you know, whether their blood pressure is too high or whether their heart's not um, behaving as it should. I, I think that that is also an innovation um, uh, initiative. Would you not agree? And I know we're just, that's just the tip of the iceberg, but you and I have talked about this as well. Yeah, I think um, as more and more things like AI come about and, and enable, um, you know, that knowledge to be transferred in a, in a safe and secure manner. Um, I think that's incredibly important. And um, I'm getting a little bit out over my skis now in terms of my knowledge of that, but none of that would be uh, capable if networks didn't exist. And, and I think that's the key component here. Yeah, I, I agree totally. And to your point, um, uh, a few minutes ago when you said, you know, we have access and probably take it for granted um, to those types of services where um, unserved and underserved folks in rural communities don't. And when you talk about digital equity and healthcare equity, that's really where the rubber hits the road in ensuring that everybody has the, the, the same level of access um, to healthcare. The other thing that we did not talk about that I just want to bring up um, that we also had to comment on in our application, and I think this is also part of the bigger picture, is workforce and what um, this could mean um, to the workforce, particularly, and we haven't mentioned this either, community anchor institutions. And so when we think of those that are directly related to education and how it applies to workforce, can you speak a little bit about what that could mean, you know, particularly from a bigger picture aspect to these communities? Yeah, so obviously, um, just through the the activities of the of the construction of the, the the build itself, you know, we're having a positive impact on the uh, the workforce in the state because we'll be, uh, in fact, yesterday we released an RFP for engineering and environmental services related to the design of the network, and then obviously when we get to the construction phase, we'll have you know several companies that'll assist in building out the two hundred two hundred nine miles of of infrastructure that need to be built. But some of the more interesting things that we've talked about doing is potentially, you know, working with selected vendors and contractors on 
you know, developing apprenticeship programs with some community colleges or uh, even universities when you talk about, um, you know, engineering uh, positions and, and, and internships that would relate to um, work that uh, an engineering firm might could benefit from having a local college student being a part of the program. At the community college level, you know, fiber splicing is, um, you know, it's a very lucrative business, right? And there's going to be a lot of splicing that we will do on this. So we've talked about maybe um, incenting, you know, companies to work with community colleges to develop, uh, you know, certification courses. And, you know, Wilson County Community College has a uh, fiber optic certification course, you know, um, that can be modeled in other community colleges that we will be uh, serving directly off of this uh, this network when built. Um, I think there's three uh, community colleges that we will be leveraging and utilizing as part of the uh, infrastructure as we go through those areas. So um, there's a there's a there's a lot of opportunity in North Carolina when you think about working with uh, companies like Corning and Company uh, Corning and Comscope and um, and others that have their base of operations within the state. Um, Duraline, I think, has a manufacturing facility in the state as well. So, all of these all of these companies represent a uh, an opportunity for us to be creative in how we um, work with our vendors that are chosen to do the work, but also then talk about um, you know apprenticeships that could come about as a, as a result of that. Good to know, and I think it's helpful for our listeners um, to understand. Um, how you know this project does extend out um, from a workforce perspective. Uh, we all know that MCNC's broadband network touches virtually every county in our state, uh, affordably and effectively removing connectivity barriers previously experienced in North Carolina. And through the HERO project, we're only getting bigger and reaching more people, which again is our mission. And we're excited to get to work. We already have, as Tommy mentioned, an RFP out for an environment uh, impact assessment. And we expect to put out more soon for this project for those of you who are sending us emails and, and asking what's next. Um, stay tuned for that. Uh, and Tommy, as always, I really appreciate your time um, and your experience, you know, not just for this project, but in general um, at MCNC and, and what you bring um, to our listeners in our community. One final thought for our listeners. Um, yeah, I just, um, you know, I'm very um, proud that uh, what the work that MCNC has done over the last, you know, four decades, but, you know, specifically in the last, you know, 15 or so years with what um, we meant to uh, broadband in North Carolina for, you know, K through 20 education and healthcare and, um, you know, I am uh, incredibly proud that we were entrusted, you know, by the federal government to do um, to do even more, you know, con to continue on that effort because, um, you know, th this is an opportunity. You mentioned it uh, often that this was a generational opportunity for the amount of investments that have been made um, by the federal government and the state governments and local mun municipalities to uh, correct this broadband issue that's existed for a long time and. Many ways. I mean, obviously, I wasn't alive then, but in many ways, I imagine it's probably similar to the electrification effort that happened, you know, uh, years ago, a century ago, 
And um, just to be a part of that, you know, to me is, is something that I'll always be proud of. Yes, as will I. And again, thank you um, for joining me today. Thank you for joining us on MCNC Community Connect to the listeners. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation. Please be sure to check out our previous podcast now available online and make plans to join us again soon for our next discussion featuring technology leaders and innovators across North Carolina and the nation. You can listen to all episodes of the MCNC Community Connect now on www.mcnc.org, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you.